Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the FISA blog and author of A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visaview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P, V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot.com. And also consider procuring a copy of that book, My Other Works, at the Farm's official store, which is at the Farm Podcast. That is the Farm Podcast, all one word, that store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. All right. Today's guest is making his debut appearance upon the Farm. He is a titan in the fields of Gnosticism and synchromysticism, but for the uninitiated, he is the author of the Vampire Apocalyptic Dark Instinct trilogy and the fantasy novel The Executioner's Daughter, in addition to the acclaimed Voices of Gnosticism and its follow-up, Other Voices of Gnosticism. He is also the host of a little podcast called Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio, which some of you may have heard of. Folks, I give you guys the great Miguel Connor. Thank you so much for dropping by today, sir. Glad to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Yes, yes, yes. It's uh, definitely going to be a bit interesting here. Today's <laughs> show is a, uh, a change of pace from normal farm shows. I wanted to get into a topic I don't normally address on here at length, and that is addiction. Ironically enough, we are recording this on 420, I might add. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the universe has a sense of humor, always it, does. It does, especially since I was just doing a 420 uh, Zoom party with Nathan Lee. <laughs> All right. Uh, I thought it would be fitting to invite Miguel on for this one for a few reasons. On the one hand, I first formally met him in Playa del Carmen at this year's fabulous Astronostics Conference. The trip proved to be a watershed event for me on a number of levels. But for the purposes of this show, it's important to note that one of the hotels I stayed at Playa had something that I had not owned for a very long time set of scales let me give you guys a little backdrop before i finish this story i've been overweight for pretty much my entire life uh year in year out i was the fattest kid in my class in elementary school i was the first kid to weigh 100 pounds by middle school i was already wearing double uh, x clothing things mercifully stayed there at least during high school i played football my freshman year and lifted weights during the whole four years i was uh, at silver uh, spruce creek so that helped keep my weight fairly stable relatively speaking i didn't really party until my senior year and afterwards but when it start when i started doing that things really got out of control uh not just with weight but a few other things but you know, especially the whole thing with weight uh the combination of alcohol and late night ventures to denny's and mcdonald's resulted in me ballooning up to over 450 pounds by the time i was 19 years old 
for a variety of reasons, that's where my weight would stay until I was around 26 or 27. It was only during that time I began the process of trying to get back into shape. And I made some serious headway. I worked out for two hours a day, jogging in the afternoons and the evenings every day, an hour a pop. And I was living in Florida throughout this time. If you've lived there, you know a lot of people consider jogging there in the summers during the afternoons uh, to be utter insanity. Uh, but I am a little crazy. Anyway, long story short, I made a lot of progress by the time I was 29. I was down to around 245, 245 pounds and I could actually wear a single X t-shirt, something I've been able to do since middle school. However, I had hit a wall and in hindsight, the reason is obvious. Despite working out fanatically, I hadn't done enough to change my diet. I had made a few big changes such as giving up sodas that I'd stuck with ever since. But I still was overeating and going in too heavy with meats, dairy, breads, and junk food, sweets, that kind of thing. I never ate fruit and only a very limited amount of vegetables. So by the time I was 30, I had started to put weight back on again. While I never made it quite back over 400, I've been over 350 for extended periods of time during this past decade here. So I made an effort to get my weight back under control in the middle of said decade, but I only made it down to around 275 that time. <clears throat> so anyway, fast forward to October 2019. I was back up to over 350 again, probably 360-ish in the grand scheme of things. And that was when I was thrust into an ongoing journey that's forever changed my life. I'm not going to get into too much of that as it's very personal, but it involved things like launching this here podcast. Uh, fittingly, the first episode of the Revived Farm podcast featuring myself, Frank Zero, Jeremy Knight, and Christopher Knowles would drop on 11-11-2019. Uh, it's at 11.11 and it was not planned as such. Uh, in fact, I wasn't even aware of 11.11 at the time, but have subsequently had some very uh, strange encounters with it. This was also the first time I had actually spoken to Chris, which ultimately led to Mexico and the Astronautics Conference there. I had uh, also met Nathan Lee there, uh, in addition to uh, Miguel. Of course, Nathan Lee is a cult fan and does the Six of Swords podcast. And I guess he did his own thing on 1111 uh, with the Invisibles. Uh, what was it? The uh, the reading group or something, Grit. So I thought that was uh, interesting as well, since uh, Frank Zero and Jeremy were also quite obsessed with the Invisibles as well. So, so it brings things a bit full circle, but I don't want to lose the plot too much. So... I also started working out, working on what became my first book, Strange Tales of the Parapolitical. This put a lot of additional stuff on my plate, and I had to give up a few things. One was baking. So I've cooked professionally for years, so you got to understand I'm pretty fucking good at it. I'd make all kinds of things, cakes, mousses, torts, and so on, and all from scratch. I do not do cakes in the box, folks or brownies or anything else in the box for that matter. It probably goes without saying, but that kind of stuff is time consuming. As I said, I am a foodie, so all of this stuff is from scratch. I'm not gonna get cakes from Martin's or anything like that either. Uh, after having desserts every night for pretty much my entire life, I mostly stopped. 
And that alone probably led me to drop around 30 pounds in a few months. And I also started making a few other light changes to my diet, mostly eating uh, less meats and more vegetables. The results were pretty amazing. By September 2020, I'd lost around 70 or 80 pounds without really making too much of an effort. But it was going into Christmas of that year that I really started to get serious. I finally made a lot of major changes to my diet that left me eating mainly fruits, vegetables, and seafood, and a vigorous workout routine. As for working out, I started with a stationary bike, and that actually had a lot to do with uh, research, ironically, rather than exercising. See, I can read and pedal on these things at the same time, and I've found that this is a great way to put in an hour of reading over a book, kind of a captive audience in this case, to put it mildly. At the time, I had just started work on my Q book and a stack of uh, books nearly two feet high I had uh, grown for the research that I was trying to do. And it's actually probably even higher now, unfortunately. Uh, so anyway, I was desperate to work uh, in more reading time. And this turned out to be a heck of a, uh, a time hack, certainly one of the highest order. I know a lot of you uh, listening value reading, so I'm throwing it out there. The idea actually got Nathan Paul Isaacs from Penny Royal to start working out again, at least. So there's some advice there, guys. So anyway... I even started lifting weights again, and I've stuck with that and even become more rigorous with my diet over the past year. This is uh, despite still working in the uh, restaurant industry. I imagine it's a bit like being a recovering alcoholic tending bar, but whenever I make do. So <clears throat> returning to Playa del Carmen. I had lost, <clears throat> I had last weighed myself in April, 2021, and I was at 245 pounds then. That was in and of itself big for me, ironically there, for, uh, because this matched the lowest weight I had been up to that point in my life. So when I got on the scales, I played a common about a year later, I was hoping to be under 200. It came up as 27 kilograms. Being an American, I had no fucking clue what that was. So I pulled up the kilograms, two pounds conversion chart on my phone and was utterly shocked. I was under 160 pounds. I got back on the scales just to make sure I hadn't hallucinated the 72 number, but that's what came up again. And for good measure, I even had one of the bellhops to try him out and he assured me that this scale was accurate. So yeah. That was pretty amazing for me on a lot of levels. It occurred to me how fitting it was that I made this discovery at a conference partly set up by today's guests. For those of you unaware, Miguel has had his own issues with addiction over the years. And like myself, he spent ample time immersed in high strangeness. This always seems like it's been an element for me uh, when I've been at my healthiest. My first efforts to lose weight coincided with when I first discovered the secret uh, secret son, Chris Knowles' little blog, and uh, synchromysticism in general. It was also when I started my own blog, sort of 2010. I often look back at that period from around 20, 2007 to 2011 to be a period of great personal transformation for myself, and it was heavily laced with high strangeness and fitness, ironically. This current period has followed a lot of the same characteristics. But anyway, I've rambled on enough. I'm going to open up the floor to Miguel and see what his experiences have been like. All right, so Miguel, the obvious question to start off with, 
how do you feel about the band tool? Sorry, man, that was like, <laughs> <laughs> was really uh, yes, that's a good joke. Kind of, is it, is it an inside joke now or is it now more public? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> you, just, you just said, you know, you, you got to ask him about tool. He'll love it. So, yeah, yeah, it's Discord and other channels. Nate's uh, never. It became a joke because we always, even when he uh, co-hosts the show with me, it's the obligatory tool esoterica mention, and it became sort of a joke. And there are memes out there making fun of people who like tool. So what are you going to do? But no, I don't have an opinion on tool. I, I enjoyed them at one point, and uh, that's it. Well, there you go. It's actually kind of funny. I mean, most people usually have a strong opinion on Tool one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do. I, I don't. I, I really dug their message. Uh, definitely. Uh, uh, when I listened to them, that was back in my days as a obedient Roman Catholic, and I still thought their message was really cool, loved their vibes. But, you know, I just moved on. It's not one of my, uh, I would say, favorite bands. It's just a band I considered a, a good band. <clears throat> well, all right. On to the actual proper first question here. So what were your experiences with addiction like and how long did it last? Oh, my God. The experiences haven't been good. And certainly, uh, I would say at least half of my life. I mean, it's hard to really uh, categorize it or codify it. I love what you did because you were able to, uh, I guess, just sort of break it down. I guess with weight loss, you can, you've got the numbers, you've got the, the receipts. I weighed this one and that one. But it's hard to say how sane you are or how much you're in recovery at certain points of life. I mean, ultimately, uh, somebody said uh, Hermes is the god of the mind and he's the god of the tricks. And there's a reason for it because the mind is... Uh, it's its own. Uh, it's hard to trust your mind. I've realized the less I trust my mind, uh, the better off I am. But um, there was there's so many levels and gradients. It's hard to tell. And plus, struggling with uh, mental issues too. Sort of. Uh, takes it's it takes that away because there are times you may be sober, but your mental health isn't that good. And uh, as uh, what did Krishna Moody say? Truth is a pathless labyrinth, and I would say, and I say in my show, gnosis is a, a no. He did say, sorry, he said, truth is a pathless land, and I always say, gnosis is a pathless labyrinth. I'd say recovery is sort of a pathless labyrinth. It's hard to tell, but uh, like many people, it started with. Uh, I think you mentioned it too. Uh, you're going through life, you're a misfit, you're trying to figure things out, you get introduced to alcohol and drugs, and you find some sort of uh, feeling of, uh, of uh, belonging, you get feelings of confidence, you get those feelings of escapism, you get some sort of uh, pseudo uh, mystical experience, which some of us really were looking for, but never really got it in their traditional religions. And then one thing le leads to another, and then there's that mysterious switch when you go right into addiction. And uh, what's the difference between abusing something or self-medicating an addiction? I like what David uh, Schoen said, that uh, at some point, this uh, you are addicted, or I mean, you're, you're abusing something. 
Uh, and it basically means your shadow is coming out. Oh, and the shadow, as Jung said, is everything I do not want to be. Everything I'm not looking at in my life is coming out. And it's manifesting as destructive behavior or it's manifesting as projection and all that. But at some point, there is um, that destruction that comes in that, uh, what did somebody say? Addiction is just suicide in installments. There's something, there's a Shiva or a Kali that comes into you. And you know you're just not dependent on this substance. You know you're looking for war. You're looking for the destruction of reality itself. Your destruction and the destruction of all those around you, if you can pull them down. So that's when I feel that's when addiction really kicks. And uh, throughout my life, I had to struggle with this. And it manifests in different ways. Alcohol, cocaine was really my favorite one but uh, whatever i had around me and these would uh there would be lapses where i could sort of more or less contain it go through periods of sobriety and then it would just come back uh interesting i just realized too Stephen. uh yeah the tr my um trilogy is called the dark instinct and that's what um that's really is the spirit of destruction i think uh Jung and Bill W., the founder of AA, had correspondence towards the end of their lives. And Bill W. said that the first uh, step two and three, the spiritual steps, he basically got it from Jung. And Jung was very, uh, very honored that he created the system to help alcoholics. But uh, and they talk, well, what's going on here? There's something inexplicable. And Jung just said, look, I think there's something that uh, in the West or in your mythology, you could call it the devil. But I would call it the dark archetype. And it's this uh, principle of destruction that gets invited by somebody who's abusing drugs and alcohol or anything, gambling, uh, overeating, whatever it is. You invite this and you, you no longer are just sort of dependent or self-medicating or abusing something. Once this instinct, or I call it the dark instinct or the, you called it the dark archetype. Once it's in you, that's it. It is there forever. You've been possessed by some sort of demon, by this cosmic force. And uh, there is no integrating with it. There is no sort of uh, negotiating with it or having it sort of drop off from your mind. It's there forever. And the only way you can defeat it is by complete spiritual inner alchemy transformation and rejecting it completely. So I thought that was interesting. And I hope I didn't go too much on a tangent. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It was great. Um, on this dark archetype, um it's kind of interesting do you think that something like that um uh could infest societies at large i asked that question because it um it, it kind of made me think about the current state uh that the united states is in as the uh you know american empire kind of teeters in the balance right now and uh you've seen it correlate obviously i mean in the last decade or so which is staggering amounts of uh, substance abuse throughout the country and um you know i was kind of thinking as well of uh victorian london you know i mean as uh, kind of the british empire was getting into its 
last leg. And I mean, of course, there was this really prim and proper um, image that the aristocracy uh, was trying to maintain. I mean, this was also kind of the whole era of uh, Jack the Ripper, the opium dens and the, you know, I mean, the mass amount of prostitution and all that stuff, the Whitechapel district in London. Right. And, uh, you know, it kind of seems like in the waning days of the British Empire, I mean, you were also seeing this uh, growing amount of substance abuse, especially opiates, I mean, amongst like the lower class and so forth uh you know do you think that um when societies have sort of reached this crisis point i mean the dark um was it architect or um or instinct or the devil you, you think shiva whatever you want to call it that's up to you depending on our cultural background but uh I mean, so my cultures at large sort of like this is a kind of a symptom of like the ongoing crises that they're in yeah, I mean, for example, Jung warned right before during the Weimar uh, Republic uh, in Germany, he warned that uh, the German people were summoning the archetype of Wotan, the Germanic war god. And if uh, because of all the language, what was what social what uh, national socialism was doing, the words on the street in Germany, and he felt that if they didn't get, if they didn't watch out this egregore, it's almost like a idea that gets uh, reinforced by psychic power of the population. It gains life, a life of its own, and it would take over the German people and they would go into some sort of uh, bloodlust. And that's, uh, Jung was certainly right. He warned about it. So I think these egregores or archetypes uh, certainly can manifest. I would say, Mass addiction really comes down to people not being able to connect with themselves and with the identity of the land and really with the mythology of their country. I mean, every nation needs a mythology to survive, to have to work together in a healthy way. And this mythology needs to show some sort of future, some, some sort of progress. And when that's gone, and I feel the United States is definitely by design, definitely by attack. But without that, yeah, I mean, we all know it's uh, in plain sight, right? You look at the statistics, suicides, drug addiction, alcoholism. It is shooting up in this country like never before because, again, uh, we've lost our connection to the land, to our mythologies, and these egregores are starting to rise. And I'm sure, I mean, I've, I've um, listened to you on podcasts. You know that the elite will use some sort of uh, psycho magic on the population to get them. But uh, there's no doubt they're trying to wipe out whatever identity and culture we have in this country and probably in the West. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why you can sort of see things like the opioid crisis being especially uh, brutal in you know, areas like the Midwest and places like that. Um, I mean, I know certainly where I'm here in West Virginia, you know, I mean, this is really a, a region that was hit hard by that. But again, I think that's, you know, very apt what you're saying. A lot of it ties into the general loss of identity and purpose. Um especially I think with a lot of men in the country presently, I mean, you know, not right. to diminish the suffering that women have also endured, but I mean, certainly, I mean, just with men, the suicide rates, the level of addiction has just really skyrocketed. And I think that um, a lot of that is especially due to, I mean, an ongoing uh, identity crisis over what exactly can be defined as masculinity or proper masculinity in modern, modern society. Um, you know, it's a complex situation, certainly. <laughs> 
Yeah, and of course it doesn't help too that the solution is hiding in plain sight. Just legalize all this shit. It's not rocket science, but people there's too many people vested in the war on drugs, just like there's people vested in the war on terror or all these other weird wars against con against concepts. Like you're going to defeat again. We're talking. You can't defeat an archetype, so the archetype of terrorism or drugs isn't going to go away by mortals. Uh, so therefore, that you, you got to integrate this, and I think if we uh, we legalize drugs, it would transform the inner cities, the suburbs with their opioids and all that. And people are like, "Oh, you're being too radical." And of course, I say, "Well, Portugal, they tried it, my homeland. They legalized drugs. They used the the resources for uh, for uh, to help with re rehabs and uh, you know." All this other stuff and the heroin addiction the rates just dropped it's a transformed country and then people were like well maybe it's something with the mediterranean people it just it, it would just work in portugal and then they tried it in norway legalized drugs put all the resources for rehab and therapy and bang norway's heroin problem went away so i think it would they we could do that here in the united states and it would definitely transform the the war zones that uh, happen in the inner cities and other places. But uh, again, simple solution, and we ain't going to beat this archetype uh, going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, certainly something here we can uh, maybe revisit in a moment, because I do think that that's, you know, I mean, another issue when you look at America versus Europe, certainly I think is how uh, you know, we view the prison system. I mean, in many European uh. countries, it's too... Uh, genuinely try to help reform people whereas in the united states it's essentially to inflict pain on uh, right. populace so <laughs> that makes i think a big difference yeah and uh, what did i read that if you took the police budget in the united states we would still have what the third most powerful military in fact somebody said the, the police budget of new york city is more than the army army budget of the Ukraine. So what does that tell you? I mean, it's they don't have Russians crawling all over New York City, right? No, no. It's again, it's it's a it's a cottage industry of throwing people in jail, making money, uh, supporting this uh, this egregore of militarization where it seems like we're always at war and everybody's in a state of tension and throw in the drugs there to numb everybody in the black markets it's a mess but i'm sure you agree oh yeah absolutely um <clears throat> well getting into the uh the direction here of rehab for a second uh, i was curious if you would go in the aa or the na route uh and if so how effective it was i mean here at the farm we've looked at the origins of alcoholic anonymous and it's you know a bit problematic with the connection as to moral rearmament and that kind of thing but it does seem to genuinely work for some people I mean, what are your thoughts on it yeah, I mean, I've taken lots of approaches. I mean, I originally just went into rehab uh, when I needed to kick cocaine. And uh, at the end of the day is how much you desire something. I mean, you can find uh, God going in a mosque. You can find God in an ashram. It's up to you what your heart is and how much uh, are you willing to put into it. But for me, AA worked. Uh it's uh, I understand. Yeah, I understand the problems. There is no perfect system and everything casts a shadow. Uh, everything can be weaponized. Everything will be corrupted sooner or later in some form or another. But it's really worked for me. I think it really worked for me when I again, 
when I started researching and found out how AA was connected to union thought, also to uh, Swedenborgian thought to an extent, that really helped me. And when I started really studying Gnosticism and realizing how it was a mystery religion, uh, even the church fathers said that some of the Gnostic rituals were a dead ringer to the Eleusinian mysteries. That really helped too, because I, it hit me that the 12 steps is sort of a shamanistic mystery religion. And I know this may sound strange, but then again, that's what I deal with very well is strangeness. But in the, in the mystery religions and any shamanistic religions, what you do, of course, is you go down into Hades, you go down into the tomb, you go down into the collective unconscious or the Akashic records, you go deep down within yourself, and there you are to encounter demons or ancient gods or your fears, and they're supposed to tear you apart, or you overcome them with certain prayers, or you simply witness the horror and at the end of the day, these demons and gods are really just, I mean, if we want to just be psychological, they're just aspects of yourself that you haven't dealt with. I talked about the shadow, but it's a sort of purgation. And then you go out into the into Hades, up into the heavenly realms, the astral realms. And I realized that 12 steps is very similar because you start with, you know, you admit that you're powerless over alcohol and drugs, and then you do these sort of two spiritual steps where you say, okay, the gods, please help me out. I'm ready to turn to the light. And then you do this fourth step. And this fourth step, anybody in AA says it's brutal because you basically, you write down everybody who's injured, injured you in your life, everybody who pisses you off, who wronged you, and you write this list. So you're almost creating these demons, right? Your own demons. You know, my father was beat me. Uh, my boss screwed me over. My wife doesn't understand. You just write this list. And then there's a twist where you say, okay, now you have to write how it's your fault or what's what was your part in it. And that's a brutal part that many uh, people in recovery never get through because you're basically saying, oh, not only am I responsible, but I realize these people are just aspects of me because they're part of my life and who I have become. And how and what could I have done better to, uh, to manage these relationships? These aspects of me, our past is part of who we are, all these people we meet. And once you do that, you're integrated and the 12 steps then takes you to the quote unquote out of Hades where you go and you ask for forgiveness and you start helping other people and all these other things. So in that way, when I looked, when I saw AA in that sort of mystery religion, Jungian Gnostic uh, myst, um, vibe, I think it really helped me instead of uh, what I was before was just somewhere where I'd go just to... Uh, stay sober and get some uh, psychological toolboxes for my sponsor and other people share my problems, which is good. I mean, we all need to, we all need confessions. Uh, it really worked out for me for the better. Now that's definitely one of the most uh, unique takes I've ever encountered on AA. Um, I hadn't really considered that, but that's uh, definitely a fascinating way of looking at it. Um, well, there's nothing new under the sun, right? I, yeah, I think every yeah, yeah. spiritual movement started with a shaman going in an altered state of consciousness 10,000 years ago. And we're just sort of adding, we're sort of giving different versions of that first shaman who talked to the spirit world. That's it. Everything else is just a copy. Yeah, what's well, it's interesting in light too, because didn't one of the uh, the founders of AA also? Um, oh gosh, 
gosh, didn't he come up with the concept after he had done like magic mushrooms or something? Or maybe it was peyote, I think. No, I know Bill W. tried like LSD therapy in the 60s, early 60s, but that was he was that was long after he founded AA. Okay. And then he okay. stopped because uh they you know these idiots then made LSD legal. But uh I it's a pity because obviously I am a big proponent of this type of therapy. All right, so uh, Nathan Lee Foster had uh, suggested a question. You know, you'd already kind of alluded to this a bit, but uh, your period of how did your period of addiction influence the Dark Instinct novels? Uh, actually, could you first tell us a bit about them, and then maybe get into how uh, there might have been some other influences besides the uh, the shadow or the dark archetype or whatever uh, into it? I mean, uh, God, I wrote. I still haven't written the third one, just the first two. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I still call it a trilogy. I know before I die, I'm going to write the third one when I'm ready. Uh, so I still call it a trilogy. But um, that was uh, that was something that just came to me one day in the in the late '90s. I thought uh, I was just sitting around, and I said uh, I was bartending at the time. Uh, that was my profession. And I thought, well, what would happen if a vampire came into a bar and asked for a uh, a drink? And I said, and then in this active imagination, I said, well, I'll give him a pint of blood. And I said, okay, well, what this what would this world look like with this vampire asking for a bar? And the camera pans, and before you know it, this entire society exists. And in short, in this society is... Uh, at some point, the uh, vampires decide that the human race is just screwing uh, the planet up. So they orchestrate a nuclear war. And from the ashes, they corral the last remaining humans. And they set up these city-states where they become the rulers of the humans. But uh, the twist is, of course, and this is the Gnostic twist, is that uh, the leader of the vampires, who's called Lilith, she wipes out the memory of the vampires and to basically create a separation. In other words, the vampires think that they are completely a separate uh, species than humans, that they don't have a common ancestor, if you would, <laughs> that they were never human to begin with, that they are gods chosen by evolution. Uh, that way they have absolutely no empathy or sympathy to humans. So humans are basically treated like chattel in concentration camps where they're farmed and eaten and all that. So um, and so in all these stories, there is, of course, that one vampire who asked for the drink, who basically starts to wake up. He starts to feel memories of his time when he was a human and different synchronicities happen to him. And he awakens and begins, which you might say is a revolution against uh, the queen of the vampires and the vampire society that now lives in the ashes and the nuclear waste that is the earth. So that's sort of my story. And I wrote this, not when, I mean, I wrote this, uh, really, my addiction wasn't horrible and I was in a, a place of a pause. Um and uh, what's interesting is, as they say, all fiction is very autobiographical. Um, I had never heard of, uh, I was a Roman Catholic. I had no idea about Gnosticism or a lot of, the, or occultism or alchemy. And people would later tell me, oh, you're using all this great alchemical hermetic symbolism and this and that. I was like, 
I don't know this stuff. I mean, it just uh, it came from another place, but it was also uh, prophetic because uh, the main character, just like all the vampires, has to struggle with his desire for blood and his desire and try to tame his uh, dark instinct, his desire for complete destruction of everything that exists which is sort of uh, given down by the queen of the vampires. So that's in short, sort of uh, the whole dark instinct that's out there. But uh, yeah, if you channel something, it will probably predict your future or at the very least, at least it will be very timeless. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And uh, certainly it seems like uh, it's uh, become maybe somewhat more prophetic too, given the direction that the uh, world has gone in since you first conceived of this uh, it's kind of mythos back in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, I mean, I know Colin Wilson did the old Vampires in Space novel, but it was really one of the first uh, in that genre who did the apocalyptic vampire genre, and there's more work that has come out, and I was really the first one to, again, in the 90s, to say, you know, to connect Lilith as the mother of the vampires. Then it became very trendy for in fiction, but uh, nobody had done it before me. That's awesome, man. All right. So um, when did Gnosticism become a significant part of your life then, and did it influence your road to recovery? I would say yes or no. Um, It was around... God, 2006, 2007, I'd gone through years. Again, I was in a period of recovery and I'd gone through years uh, feeling good, but I was also doing a lot of spiritual hitchhiking. I was uh, not satisfied with the big answers in life from my uh, Catholic background. So I was trying a lot of stuff, Hinduism, Islam, meditation, uh, some entheogens. I was just trying everything because the ideas of uh, what is reality, what's the meaning of life, why do we have evil, just uh, didn't work for me. And they weren't working for me with any other tradition, whether it was Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, uh, you name it. I was an atheist for a while. Um, And then when I started really delving into Gnosticism, kind of at the end of my, 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 I wouldn't say at the end of my rope, I was still very green when it came to occultism. I knew nothing of Thelema or any of those things, but Gnosticism really started answering those questions uh, and satisfying and really uh, shaping my, not shaping my worldview, but again, it was that sense of belonging. What did Carl Jung said when he started reading uh, some of the Gnostic texts? It's like, I finally found out my long lost friends. These individuals knew the secrets of the soul. That's how I felt. And um, it really expanded my awareness and consciousness as far as, addiction at first it didn't help because i I made a terrible mistake i think uh gnosticism like any esoteric tradition it really comes down to the temple at delphi what does it say know thyself i think that's the ultimate goal or question everybody needs to ask because as again, Jung said, we didn't come here to be good. We came to be ourselves. I know in my heart that each person, just as each animal or blade of grass, has a divine or holy purpose. Why they came into this world um, has to do with the restoration and the harmony of the universe. 
And when we, because we come into this world and we're so lost and we are so programmed by the powers that be, by our cultures, parents, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places, we forget it's the old Plato, Plato's cave allegory, if you would, we're all in Plato's cave or um, the matrix. But if we couldn't remember why we are here, like the character in my novel who realized he's here to be human, he's here to help other humans, then everything makes sense and everything falls into place. My problem is I study, <laughs> I thought knowledge was knowing who, you, who my ego was. You know, Miguel, he's a Taurus and he likes... Uh, he likes to watch soccer and he likes this and that. I didn't accept that I was a complete fraud and construct like most people are. And that beneath all of these layers, there was something uh, eternal and true. And that really screwed me up. In fact, I had some relapses even after I started learning about Gnosticism. But once I got into the, delved into the true know thyself, know the divinity within you and try to understand what your sacred purpose is, or as um, Joseph Campbell said, uh, follow your bliss and doors will open. I used to think bliss was pleasure, but he's talking about your destiny, why you are here, what are you good at and who you're going to help. Then every, then Gnosticism really started making sense. You know, that's definitely a fascinating way to uh, putting it. And it's uh, certainly something that I can uh, relate to as well. I think definitely finding your way is uh, a very important part of recovery, at least in my own uh, experiences as well. All right. So along the path to recovery, did you have your own soldiers into uh, high weirdness? Well, plenty of that. I mean, my my speculations and research just continued. I just learning more, experiencing more, uh, trying to find different uh, altered states of consciousness, uh, whether it's meditation here, prayer there, spiritual tools, journaling, uh, all this other stuff. Again, it's this uh, adventure of trying to understand who I am. I mean, it's still that's all there is i can't there is nothing else because there's a reason i'm here and i've been fooled to think why am i here and my ego wants to tell me i'm just here to be part of the pack and just get along and make the best of it but there is another reason within me and uh, that reason is infinite it's um it's the mind of god that ultimate imagination uh to connect with these powers i think each human is a uh, what's the old saying um no, I don't know what old saying. Uh, an artist is not a, a special type of person. Every person is a special type of artist. We are here to find out uh, what is our creative part. As God created the universe, we are here to create as we are in his image and to leave something better than uh, before than before we leave. So that's that's been my my thrust and of course that definitely delves into a lot of uh, high weirdness because with my podcast and research and all that i am hitting all these cultures and ideas and conspiracies and it's a blast but at the end of the day it, it goes back to know thyself that's where it began that's where that's where it will end but did you have like um maybe like increased moments of uh, maybe like, I don't know, like paranormal activity or like a, anything like a UFO or anything like that. I've, I've kind of noted that uh, for me, at least that's typically, uh, these are usually the time periods when I've had those kinds of specific experiences. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had uh, both in recovery and in addiction. I've had paranormal experiences. It's almost like, I, why even call them paranormal? It's a it's a busy universe out there, and well, I'm using what quotations we, for lack of a better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what we th- what we know what we what is reality in front of us is a construct and a lie. We're limiting ourselves. Again, I think the trickster mind wants to tell us, well, all that we can measure and all that we've been told is all there is out there. So just accept it. But uh, it's a busy universe out there. And since a child, I've seen UFO sightings. Uh, saw another UFO sighting in my 30s. I've seen I was a ghost hunter for a while. So in places where uh, Al Capone had his uh, dealings and uh, under underneath buildings, so a lot of dead people to talk to. I've, I've worked at places that were haunted. I've had uh, shamanistic experiences with ayahuasca. I've had paranormal all my time. I think what increases more than anything, because a spirit world is a spirit world. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just out there. It's not like uh, they got their own agenda, all these uh, forms of consciousness across the universe. They got their own problems to deal with. But it's, yeah, it's really a synchronicities, those uh, meaningful coincidence, that sense of connection by uh, things that happen to you during the day, things that happen at uh while you're doing research i mean it was like uh it's almost like last night i was i had a uh, talk with my wife about because she was uh there was a period i was taking um antidepressants and it really screwed me up it almost destroyed my soul i turned into some freak weirdo uh she calls him uh, she had my wife has a name for that individual i became but I, I was able to stop doing um, meds and just do things holistically. But it was brutal getting off of this shit. But uh, I, and we had this conversation, and then I just uh, I said, "Well, I'm you know it's late at night. I'm tired. I've done work. I'm going to pull up Twitter." And <laughs> my every every other post was about people struggling with meds or addiction. And then I went to oh my god. So then I went to Facebook, and every other thread was people struggling with. Uh, depression and meds i mean people who i, I who were who were quote-unquote friends on facebook and never admitted it were admitting that that's the kind of synchronicity i'm talking you're in the flow of life and everything has meaning and everything is connected it's the whole synchronicity synchromistic thing and that's uh it's a that's when i know i'm on the right path and it and sometimes it's beyond words just being outside and everything makes sense everything is connected everything is in the flow it doesn't mean it's good or bad i mean when i go walk down the trails i see so much beauty but of course i see a lot of horror dead animals sick animals trees that are destroyed Um, but there's a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging in a sense that there that life is no is the farthest thing from a coincidence that the existence of life is no it's not a coincidence it's there yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think specifically about the synchronicities, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, definitely, I think with my life in the last couple of years, I have uh, really uh, started. To, I mean, I'd always like kind of tried to follow the sync somewhat, but I mean, I've definitely been much more aware of the significance of a lot of this stuff in the last three or so years of my life. 
because uh, I mean, this time frame, I mean, I've definitely uh, seen some pretty incredible things, but I mean, uh, more than anything, I mean, what stands out to me was just how uh, specifically certain people kind of like randomly came into my life at times when I really needed such a person right. in my life. Uh, and subsequently that led to a lot of things happening that was just beyond mind blowing, um, you know, more so than even seeing like, a, you know, a UFO or having some kind of other paranormal experience, but I've, which you know, I've also experienced, but these sort of human connections combined with this sort of right. just incredible synchronicity, I mean, you know, it was really uh, the thing that uh, had really gotten me to change my worldview on a lot of things. Yeah, remember the, the book, The Celestine Prophecy? My wife was complaining about it just yesterday. And I remember reading that in my early 20s and saying, what a bunch of bunk. But, you know, now I the, whole, the book is all about synchronicities. It doesn't use the term, but it's uh, the book talks about that a spiritual awakening. And if you follow these synchronicities in your life, you are aware of who you are and the universe outside that's it leads you to where you need to be, where you are required to be. I think, uh, I think that's the other thing that Jung once said, which I loved. He said, uh, free will is doing exactly what you're supposed to do right now. I think a lot of the pain and depression we have is, as you, you and I are talking, beyond just not having a sense of purpose and cultural mythology and tradition and where are we going as a people is also when... Um, when you fought, when you your ego has decided what is going to be your destiny, and that's always programmed. You know, your parents talked about well, if you could be a lawyer, or as a man, I'm supposed to be doing this, or as this person in this neighborhood, I should be doing this, or you know, maybe I, I saw some guru and he said I could be rich with this pyramid scheme, or whatever it is. That's where pain is because your ego is again trying to. Uh, accommodate the culture and the and the programming of the herd but that doesn't necessarily mean you're, that's what your soul is or what god wants from you and that's where the friction is it doesn't mean we are all going to be some wild-eyed mystic out there or philosopher or artist but uh, there is something for us to do and if it's if the ego is not aligned with it, then the ego brings down a lot of pain upon us, a lot of depression, anxiety, and then comes the self-medication and then the uh, bad behavior. And eventually you're inviting that dark instinct. So it's important that, you know, I, I keep going back to self-knowledge because again, I think that's all there is. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Um, knowing uh, what you are supposed to be doing with your life is also a very important thing uh, to grasp. <clears throat> yeah, and each one of us, every one of your listeners has something important to do. There's no better or worse or whatever. Your ego may not be happy with it, but once you're aligned to it, that's when you get a sense of ecstasy and peace. And that's worse more than anything. I mean, maybe you were meant to... Uh, be a kindergarten teacher maybe you're meant to uh volunteer at a soup kitchen just once a week maybe you're meant to be a politician i don't know but once you find that again that's when the ecstasy really sits in and that's when everything becomes a mystical experience but uh, it's hard because our i mean we're so programmed 
it's endless the programming that we've been uh, instilled by you know our friends society tv and and the programming doesn't stop i mean 24 7 we are bombarded with this shit plus all the programming from our past it's a full-time job waking up don't you think <laughs> oh yeah 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 well see like in my case it was like the program i was never really like somebody who bought into the system you know i mean uh i mean i was arrested fairly early in my life i think i was around 19 or 20 and i mean after those experiences i had like no desire to ever do you know some kind of like white collar job where i had to go wear like a tie and to work or something so i never had any aspirations like that or felt the pressure to do that because all of that stuff just struck me as being rather silly after seeing our prison system and so forth firsthand um but for me it was more like kind of finding an actual purpose or something that i could do that would be meaningful and uh which was also as you're kind of alluding to something that i was supposed to be doing uh because again you know in um our society you know there's not always uh specific jobs for creative people you know i kind of like make it up really in a lot of cases so that can be a daunting thing to embrace Oh yeah, for sure. It's uh, and definitely not a, a place for mystically inclined people. But uh, but it's there again. It doesn't. You don't have to be the man on the mountain or uh, or a Don, you know, or Don Carlos or anything like that. It's uh, but you always have to be in the process. I mean, I didn't have my first office job until my forties, and the only reason I had an office job is I let the programming sneak in. I was in a strange place. We'd had another child and somehow this somehow, you know, the code went in and I had to be like my dad and have a nine to five job in an office and never in my life I'd had one or even needed one for work or money or anything like that. But uh, it was that simple lapse. And uh, for years I was in an office until I I was like, what the hell? What happened? (laughs) How did this happen? uh so uh yeah you you have to be careful but i was able to catch myself no 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 i'm i can you know work outside of the uh, the office i can do this and that and everything just really worked out yeah no i hear you um i had never actually really even worn any dress clothes myself until like the last year or so and uh (laughs) happy to report when it finally happened it was totally on my terms so you know that was a great (laughs) feeling (laughs) uh all right so okay in general how much importance do you think spirituality and peak experience is to recovery i mean it seems like a lot of people struggle with uh without one or the other if not a combination of both uh, what do you mean by uh, peak experience? Are you talking about Maslow or? Well, yeah, I'm just kind of saying, you know, I mean, sometimes you just have like, uh, I mean, I know like in the case of some people with drug addiction, you know, it's when you hit absolute rock bottom. I mean, I've had right. to describe that to me. It's like you just wake up one day and it's like, well, I'm in a roach infested, you know, crack house or something like that. <laughs> or, I mean, you know, it can be the polar opposite, you know, just, I mean, kind of some sort of experience that's just totally life altering, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't wait for a sort of a road to Damascus experience. And uh, obviously, as they say in AA... uh, Yeah, obviously, not everybody's fortunate enough to have... Right, right, or have the angel Gabriel come to you like Muhammad or all those cool... Or, you know, Buddha on the Bodhi tree or something like that. But, 
Um, I would say, I think I really love the work of uh, Anthony DeMello in his book, Awareness. It's a book I read when I was in rehab. And um, he always said in his book, spirituality is just waking up. That's all it is. Don't think it, don't worry about mystical experience. Again, that's a programming, right? We all have to be Paul of Tarsus or something like that, or, or Moses in the mountain or, or Jim Morrison doing drugs or whatever. No, 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 no. Uh, spirituality is just waking up it may be mystical it may be a challenge in your life and maybe you reading a good book and feeling your consciousness stir like whoa this book just changed i'm a different person after reading this book but it is waking up and waking up is understanding the construct that is reality for better or worse the construct that is our society for better or worse and the construct that you are that you are uh, so much more beyond all these layers. So uh, again, I wouldn't worry about these things. Uh, I've had powerful mystical experiences out of body astral. I mean, I've talked about UFOs, ghost sightings, but uh, to me is that sense of uh, ecstasy and awe when I'm just sitting with myself in a state where I know who I am. So uh, yeah, just, just try to wake up and everything else, uh, it will be secondary really. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's what I was about to add. I mean, I think really, you know, if you have uh, awoken, as you're saying, I mean, the peak experiences will come sooner or later. Uh, right. In some cases, whether you want them or not, but they will come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not in control. The, the, your soul or God is in control. <laughs> uh, okay, so what is the most important foundation stone to a successful recovery, in your opinion? Uh, well, you probably just keep it simple. Uh, don't drink or drug or do that destructive behavior that the dark instinct wants you to do for that uh, suicide and installments today. Just don't do it today. Make it to the end of the day. I remember, I think my first relapse, I got into this stupid idea. I, this voice kept saying, wait, you're not going to drink for the rest of your life? Are you serious? You're going to go the rest of your life without a drink? You know how hard it is? And I ended up relapsing instead of simply don't drink today. As much as, you know, all of us maybe get tired of the one day at a time cliche, sometimes you need that fridge uh, magnet spirituality to get you through, through the tough times or set some sort of easy foundation. So I would say don't do it today. I remember one time I relapsed and I was telling this guy, oh my God, I was telling this other guy who was in recovery as well. I went, I, I went 11 years without a drug and now I've relapsed. I've ruined those 11 years. He's like, don't worry about, don't worry about 11 years. Worry about the next 11 minutes. And he put it in perspective how the past was irrelevant. So I, I wrote in this poster, put it in on top of my wall by my computer that says, make it another 11 minutes and i just kept using that 11 minutes. in other words sometimes if you want to stay sober or not get into this bad behavior break it down just make it to the to the end of the hour make it to the end of the hour and this is the day you have so i would start with that foundation i would start with uh the idea of go on a journey the greatest journey is finding out who you are the most amazing person the miracle in this universe is you, but you need to find out who you really are. And that's simply going to be a journey where you have to find the tools that work for you. Uh, people always 
uh, even in Gnosticism, people get frustrated because the Gnostics had such a variety of rituals that people go, well, what did the Gnostics do? And I said, well, the Gnostics tailored and did the rituals that worked for a different lodge or a different individual. You're a unique person. You need to find out what works for you. Try AA if you want to sober up. If not, try meditation, mix and match. Uh, you got to find out the spiritual practice that works for you instead of having this sort of boilerplate 10 steps thing you got to do. Or, um, And I would say that's it. There's a, there's a prayer I do every morning that's really worked. It's a Sufi prayer. And it simply says, uh, I get up and I get on my knees and I say, uh, Today is the last day of my life. Today I am going to die. There is no God but God. And it really helps me because I realize in a way that's true. I mean, this is it. Uh, the person who's going to wake up tomorrow is going to be a very different Miguel. I mean, from his cellular composition to everything. It's, it's not the same person. And uh, sometimes I wonder too, Stephen, I said, when I go to sleep, Maybe there's this other Miguel who goes on his life through all these dreams. And I know it's a different dimension with different rules, but I think at the end of the day, he dies. He lived his life. And now this other Miguel is going to, you know, gets one day to live. And um, it has really helped because I do appreciate everything. I look at my kids. I look at the outdoors and I say, this is it. And at the end of the night, I go, well, it looks like uh, I'm going to die now. Uh, this new Miguel is going to appear in the dream world. I hope he did the best he could. I hope he experienced everything. And uh, it really works out. And if you're depressed or down, it'll help you because at least you'll be like, well, fuck this. Fuck my job. Fuck these people. At the end of the day, I am out of here, people. So at least you'll be in a good mood that way. <laughs> but eventually you'll find out you'll uh, you'll start appreciating because uh, it's such a blink of an eye and it's short. So th that's that's my advice. Just make it to the end of the day and find out who you are. You're going to be amazed about who you are when you get there. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, certainly taking it one day at a time, I think, is uh always the uh the best approach to take um you know and again in my own case when i had uh you know, kind of started dieting i mean i hadn't even really deliberately began it. and i mean for the longest time i was really you know hesitant to sort of acknowledge that that's what i was doing you know i just was uh kind of like each day i would wake up and just be like well i don't feel like eating this or that today so i'm not going to um and yeah and just try to keep it going each day after day but yeah, uh, I think it's a good perspective to take on it. Otherwise, you can uh, maybe psych yourself out. Oh, yeah, yeah. The mind's a trickster. You know, I mean, it's it's a great paradox. Your mind has decided it wants this food or this glass of alcohol or this video game. How the hell do you trick? How do you tell your own mind? not to do something when it's made up its mind well that's where the the game begins it's almost it's almost a trickster game like you're saying you're kind of going under the radar of what your mind wants like oops <laughs> but yeah you start playing uh, with hermes your own mind you got to play tricks on yourself play tricks on society play, play tricks on reality uh the trickster the hermes god that's the god who was the messenger of the gods and that's the god that leads you to the heavenly realms so um i know i'm being mythological but sometimes these things help oh no absolutely 
uh, kind of makes sense to me from a Discordian perspective as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much. All right. So uh, beginning recovery is hard enough, but keeping going day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year is the real crucible. So, I mean, what are some pointers you have for people such as myself who have, uh, so we don't relapse? Uh, again, take, I'd say one day at a time. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, I know, uh, I know today I'm not going to relapse, but I'm not going to be, uh, let my ego think that it's never going to relapse. Uh, but, uh, yeah, don't let your, your foot off the pedal. You can't, it's just, uh, the programming is so powerful. The, uh, amnesia is so powerful, uh, society's marketing and propaganda is so powerful you really can't uh let the foot off the pedal you have to embrace a spiritual or a psycho-spiritual life uh from the moment you wake up to the end you've gotta sometimes they almost cosplay yourself into enlightenment you've gotta you've just gotta keep up at it and i would say too is uh don't uh don't uh, mix and match, mix and match. Don't get yourself because uh, a lot of times we get ourselves into ruts. We're talking about when we, things become common and we find no purpose that uh, that's a dangerous place. So try different things, uh, mix and match. As I always say, the archons, they can control reality. They can change reality. It looks like they can change the past if they feel like it. So you always got to be one step ahead of these, uh, both the trickster and the archon. So change things, uh, change the path. When you walk somewhere, change your path, tweak your rituals, try something new, be open-minded, and just keep playing this sort of uh, trickster game on the world as it plays the trickster game on you. And uh, you'll find so many new things. What's the saying? Uh, Everything you ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And uh, fear is simply the part of us that wants to control life, even though we're not in control of life. We never were in control of life. Life and death are happening. And uh, it's our job to go beyond that and accept this uh, beautiful duality of the universe. So that's what I would say. And uh, it will get better. You will. There will be a time when things break and you're going to find out who you are. You're going to find a sense of peace, a mission, purpose, and it will get better. Whether it's tomorrow or in a few years, uh, it's going to happen because uh, each one of us is far greater than what this world has allowed us to be. Yes, that's very well said, sir. All right. Uh, I understand you started your own podcast dealing with addiction and recovery. So what's that been like for you? It's always a little weird for me when people ask me for dining tips and things like that, but your mileage may, be, may vary. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, when people ask me what I do, I'm like, remember, that's the trap. What works for me should not work for you. We are unique beings, not unique snowflakes, but we are unique divine sparks. So uh, I can't give you an answer. Any person that gives you a set of numbers or a strict set of rules is uh, you got to watch out for these people because you got to find out what works for you and only you. So that was really the the purpose of the podcast, which is called Finding Hermes, is that um, when all the insanity happened in 2020 and I could see the mental where the mental state of our collective consciousness in this country and the West was going to, 
And I could see the fear rising in the population and the anxiety and all the, all the stuff that I'd really worked out in my life. I said, well, I want to help because I'm doing a on bite and that's a uh, podcast just on Gnosticism and high weirdness, hermeticism, all that. I said, I want to do something that helps the people. And I said, why not a podcast that gives people not the answers, but more choices. In other words, I'm going to do alternative ways of dealing with uh, addiction, depression, and mental health issues. And a lot of these guests I don't agree with, but I want their voices to be heard because they might have a sort of therapy or technique that could help somebody out there who, who it would work for. So I, I try to keep it varied. I, some guests talk about uh, meditations other talk about how they dealt with their bipolar disorder through art uh, some talk about Jungian concepts some, some talk about entheogens in fact I just did a podcast where there's an individual he found out how Dante's Inferno has all these tools and lessons to deal with addiction and I interviewed him so I want to give people this sort of uh, toolbox or more choices and hopefully they can find something that help us because Needless to say, the old ways, the traditional ways in uh, psychology and even science ain't working. They've obviously become corrupted by those trying to make a buck, by the, by bureaucracy. So I want I want people to know that there is uh, there is endless amounts of choices to deal to get therapy, to deal with depression, anxiety, uh, addiction, uh, any mental health issue you could have. And uh, there's something out there that's going to work for you or a set of tools or teachings that will help you. And that there's nothing better than that. I mean, uh, I've been to what? <clears throat> I've had like four or five therapists to check me out. And I was diagnosed years ago with uh, manic depression, bipolar, and not even like the the mild kind, like the, what do you call a rapid cycler? That's the guy that pretty much always kills himself at the end. And I've had uh, issues with that in the addiction. And I've been able to basically uh, put myself in a place where I no longer have any manic highs or lows, or I'm able to keep myself in a straight arrow simply through these sort of different spiritual tools and therapies that I use on you know herbs holistic herbs and i've been able to find my way to do that and if a uh, a rapid cycler manic depressant like me who shouldn't be alive or shouldn't be functional i should not be able to make a living or walk the dogs or all the stuff that i do if i can do it and if i can overcome uh a if i can overcome 20 years of uh you know drug addiction so can you so can anybody and Again, a lot of it is because there's so many choices out there and there is something out there for you that's going to make a difference and turn things around. That's very well said. And I think that's great that you, uh, you know, open up the, um, the podcast to different approaches, even if it's something you don't you yourself don't necessarily right. agree with. It seems like uh, so many people in therapy are dogmatic about like one approach or another being the absolute correct way to do things. And I mean, yeah, right. I think that uh, in the grand scheme of things, a lot of this stuff really does depend on the individual and what their specific needs are. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, not everybody. I like the Jungian approach, but maybe just traditional therapy will work for you. I mean, again, we're all completely uh, unique persons, so we all have a unique path. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, right. Uh, to wrap up, I wanted to return to the Astronostics Conference for just a moment here. As I already talked about a bit at the beginning, it had a lot of uh, personal significance for me, uh, most notably getting to uh, meet Chris Knowles in person. As I said before, I sort of uh, see uh, the Secret Sun as a big part of uh, what had started me on this uh, journey. Um, and specifically, ironically, it was uh, Chris's obsession with 17. Uh, my birthday is December. Right. Uh, yeah, December 17th. Uh, and I know he had done a post specifically in the one passage. Uh, gosh, it was from one of the four gospels uh, in 1217 relating to Lazarus and so forth, which is what it sort of started right. my obsession with the secret son. Uh, but anyway, and then um, also Gordon White, I really wanted to give a shout out to because uh, I really embraced the, the book that he wrote, The Chaos Protocols. I think that was also sort of a big part of uh a lot of the transformation that I've gone through in the last three years or so. So, I mean, it was also uh, fabulous getting to meet Gordon in person as well. So, um, yeah, uh, it was, um, you know, definitely a bit of a, a trip for me uh, on a lot of levels, uh, not just the actual vacation, but also sort of a spiritual <laughs> journey and, um, you know, getting to meet two uh, individuals who uh, I think it definitely had a lot of influence in my life and uh, how, where I've ended up and family, uh, figuring out what I was supposed to be doing. And then also, awesome. of course, uh, yeah, you know, got to meet some new people, uh, Nathan Lee and uh, yourself as well. So, um, yeah, it was uh, quite an experience in the whole. So I'm wondering, did it have any personal significance for you yourself and the journeys you've been on to recovery? Well, yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, we are blessed that we live in a time where we can connect like you and I through Zoom or you and Nate through Discord, you know what I mean? And we can read Chris's blogs and sit on a YouTube video and ask questions and do podcasts. But at the end of the day, the human connection, the creating of our own egregores, our own energy, psychic energies together, that's where the real magic is. So this was, uh, I've been blessed to, uh, I've been invited to some Freemason conferences, Gnostic conferences. I've been to conferences and there's, they've been so, uh, changed my psyche, sometimes changed my life and perspective. So this was sort of my way of, uh, okay, it's my turn now. I want to give to the world. I want to get all these people together and let's see if we can do some magic. And it was magic. Uh, it was a magic ritual. It was a uh, Awesome meeting you and all these new people too, as well as finally getting Chris and uh, uh, Gordon together in one place. So uh, it was truly amazing. I I can't say right now anything about synchronicity right now because, and I know it was my turn because I've talked to people who hold conferences. I mean, uh, Ivan and I worked so hard. We were working around the clock that uh, it was great having conversations, but for the most part, we were just like in you know uh, left brain mode. And that was fine. I was it's like, this is my time to host. You know, like if you're hosting a dinner, you're not gonna have the, you know, the relaxation of your guests. But uh it was really amazing. And uh what uh I hope there's more of them. I hope uh, more podcasters can do that. Uh and uh I'm certainly looking forward to doing another one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly, I'm uh, very much hoping uh, there will be an Astronautics 2023 as well. Um, certainly, it would be the perfect thing for the year 2023. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Right now, I'm still sort of recovering from it and trying to get content out. You know, these things never end. They're still. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. 
I'm sure you and Ivan are both wiped out. And yeah, big shout out to Ivan too. It was that like, great getting to know him. He's like, quite a remarkable guy as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, all right. Uh, yeah, it was it was great. And also I think it was important too. Uh and again, Chris made this uh has made this argument. Gordon's made that uh we've forgotten that we've forgotten to look up at the stars and i thought uh the gnostics were obsessed with the stars uh, so were the ancients that's where the inspiration i know when you look up at the stars in a way you're looking inside of yourself but i think uh, that was the other important theme which i hope people get is that uh we need to look up in the stars i don't know if you watched that movie interstellar and there's that scene where matthew mcconaughey goes you know we once were just the earth is already pretty much destroyed by human but you know by the greed of uh the elite and the establishment and matthew mcconaughey is like we used to look up in the stars and now we just look down at our place in the dirt and i was like yes that's what we need to get away from you know let's look at the stars where the gods where the stories where the archetypes where all this cool stuff is and i'm being i could be metaphoric or i could be literal take it for whatever you want yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I definitely think that uh, the world would probably be a better place if we did spend a little bit more time stargazing. Uh, that was, you know, kind of, again, one of the things that I was uh, thankful to be able to do uh, was to finally move back out into the country where I was uh, away from a lot of the uh, light pollution from the city and that kind of thing. Right. But, uh, yeah, just have these clear, pristine skies to gaze up at. And uh, I am certainly uh, very much looking forward to getting back to that now that uh, there will be some nicer weather, knock on wood, in the coming how is, uh How is the stargazing in West Virginia? Oh, it's quite nice here. I mean, really? like I said, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I live out in the countryside and yeah, you mm. get some nice clear nights and what have you. And um, I mean, I have a um, pretty decent sized mountain uh, near where I'm at as well. I haven't hiked to the top of it yet, but I've heard that uh, you can see three States from the top of it. So wow. uh, these days, yeah, yeah, yeah. I very much want to go up there maybe camp out and uh, see what I can see up at the heavens. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would advise people. Yeah. Try yeah. to get away or just go somewhere and just look at the stars, connect with the world. I mean, that's where that's where the spirits are, ancestors and uh, forgotten lore. So and you'll find yourself. You'll be away from all the noise of technology and the cities and civilization. Take a break. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is, uh, you know, and again, I love my internet and uh, all the advantages that kind of comes with it is just being able to connect with people as much as anybody. But um, yeah, it's also important to get away from the electronic devices sometimes. And uh, yeah, just again, you know, enjoy the natural world and enjoy the heavens, uh, their gifts. And, uh, you know, we don't appreciate exactly. them as much as we should in this day and age. Exactly. Well said. All right. On that note, I suppose we will wrap up for now. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for listening and your support. And uh, with that, good night and good luck to you all.